this is going to be the year-end Q&A for Humans of Magic. And I'm just going to have a list of questions here. Uh, probably for about an hour, I'm going to answer questions from my list. If you have questions that you want to, to ask, you can feel free to type them in the chat and I'll try to get to them as well. I'll just try to limit this to one hour and just kind of go through everything. Obviously, this is going to end up as a recording, so I'll release this later for those who don't have a chance to listen to the whole thing live. So let's get to it. Let's start with a question from one of the patrons. Uh, patron's name is Toitles, T-O-I-T-L-E-S. I hope I got that right. So the first question is, what's your process for selecting people to interview? What's your process for selecting people to interview? This is a good question, and I'm really happy to answer this one. I think when I'm interviewing or when I'm selecting someone to interview, the number one thing is I want it to be interesting for myself. It's like the common thing that creators say, make stuff for yourself, make content for yourself that you would enjoy. So I think for me, number one is just making sure that I would want to talk to that person. And let me break this down a little bit more. So that means if I want to talk to them, it's because I'm fascinated by what they do. I There's a couple of different creators, different types of people that I interview. So for example, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit later, artists, magic players, pros, creators, casters. I think generally these days, I'm more interested in the history of magic. I'm not saying that this is going to be my obsession forever, but you can basically tell that in the past three to six months, I've been doing a lot more interviews with magic pros about magic history because i'm a nostalgic person so i like to get into 90s and 2000s magic competitive history and those are the people that i want to talk to those are the people that i think are interesting and another part of it is no matter what type of magic person it is the mindset how they think about magic or what they do is super exciting. By that, I mean, I really want to understand how people think and how they approach Magic the Gathering, whether it's playing Magic, whether it's creating content, or it's something else, something that's very specialized, like casting or doing commentary. I really like to study how people do their thing. And so when I feel like there's somebody out there who does it at a high level, and I feel that and I feel that they are good at articulating why they do it or how they do it. Those are the people that I tend to gravitate to. So I think I think there's a couple of things just to kind of summarize these rambling thoughts, right? Number one, it's got to be someone that I'm really interested in talking to because of something they have done act right now or in the past. They're, they've been doing it at a very high level, whether it's creating content or whether it's playing magic, being world-class in their fields. I think that is something that I'm very attracted to. And they obviously have a strong motivation and passion for doing the thing. And I think another one is 
they're kind of already a public personality because one thing that I've been a lot more intentional about when it comes to humans and magic is just making the thing listenable. I can control how I ask questions and how I carry the interview, but with guests and doing a show that's a different person every week, that's really a different animal. I'm not able to completely control how they say it and how they do it, which means that there's kind of a there's kind of a bar for I would ideally want that person to already have some public speaking experience. Maybe they've already been doing podcasts. Maybe I've seen them in their content. Basically, they can articulate themselves well. It's not saying that I would never interview someone who is not a public figure. If it's someone that's interesting that has done things at a at a world class level, like I said, I would definitely consider them. But generally speaking, it's much easier. There's less risk in talking to somebody that is already a public figure, has already is already very experienced with podcasting or talking in front of a mic like this, doing a podcast. It's not awkward. So I think I think um, I think these are all considerations. Okay, this is already a really long answer, but I think that's that's the best I can do given you know five, six minutes in terms of what's my process for selecting people. There's probably more to it. Honestly, I just have a list of people that I want to talk to, some of some of whom I already talked to, some of whom are on my on my future bucket list. And I just basically run it down. I basically am just thinking every month. This is really getting to the nitty-gritty. Who's interesting? Like who who who's done something interesting recently? Um who do I want to talk to? And I basically just then start messaging them, pitching them. Sometimes it's referral. Sometimes it's like a cold message. Just reach out, right? I think if you're a creator and you're doing collabs, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, how do I say it? Um, shoot your shot, right? That's something that a lot of people have said. Just shoot your shot. Uh, even if it doesn't matter how big or how small your name is, Magic players, magic community is actually pretty generous. If you want to just shoot your shot, ask somebody to appear on a podcast with you, I think eight times out of 10, they will agree if you just present it properly. And I think that's maybe a question for another time, which is like, how do you pitch people? But that's generally my process. It's like interesting people. I have a list and I basically run down that list and I have some criteria. Like I said, it's just people that I think are interesting people that are used to public speaking. Um, I'm always thinking about how do I make the episode actually listenable because it's not just, you know, me and the guests, right? It's got to be, there's got to be a product that goes out that is interesting. Okay. That was a tough first question from Toidos, but the second question that, uh, he asked, I'm just going to go through all three of his questions or four of his questions because he's a patron and I want to make sure that, uh, patrons get priority for Q and a, um, no offense to non-patrons, but I'll definitely try to go through these questions first. Other than magic, what are other hobbies you're interested in? Other than magic, the gathering, what are other hobbies I'm interested in? So I think I mentioned this from time to time, uh, doing the podcast, some people would say maybe a little too much, but there's two things that I'm super passionate about outside of magic. Number one is the NBA the National Basketball Association. I used to play a lot of basketball. I don't really do that anymore. Uh, I'll get into that in a little bit. I'm getting older. I can't run and jump like I used to. And I was never a super hardcore basketball player. I just really enjoyed playing pickup basketball in the past. Now I've just 
follow the NBA. I just watch a lot of NBA. Um, I'm pretty hardcore. I try to watch all the teams. I actually try to watch the games. I don't just watch clips. Um, I read news about the NBA. Um, I'm probably boring half of the crowd right now, but I, I love basketball. I love watching professional basketball. And maybe I can try to explain this a little bit. Like I like, I basically, I like, understanding how things are made i like understanding the business behind certain things right whether it's like magic and hasbro whether it's like how owners run their teams or how teams are constructed i like getting behind the scenes of that thing and so i think the nba or following a professional sports gives me a channel or avenue to do that so that's one hobby i'm really interested in i have to say probably spend way more time on it than i should the other hobby that I'm interested in is this is probably also no surprise to those who listen to the podcast, but long distance running. I love long distance running. I love going out for runs. Uh, right now, it's actually pretty rainy in Shanghai, so I haven't been running outside outdoors for for a couple days. And I I just I just love running. Um, this year, I actually ran my first full marathon. So before I ran like, you know, 10Ks and half marathons and just casual stuff, right? And this year I decided I was going to challenge myself. I, I, I want to uh, create a goal for myself, do the hardcore training, and then do the thing. So I have recently, uh, I have recently become, I would say a little... A little addicted to long distance running. I've just been running um, about two two hundred and fifty kilometers a month. I try to get out there whenever I can. Uh, I'm sorry for Americans. I don't know how many how much that is in 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 miles. I think it's um, I think it's like one point six. Um, I think hold on. Let me do the math here. So I run about two hundred kilometers a month i think that's about 125 miles yeah that sounds right that sounds right yeah so about 100 120 miles a month and i've been trying to work my way up in terms of mileage because as i've realized for the world of marathon running it's really about logging miles and of course there's like this is not a running podcast or running live stream but it's just something that i really love doing and i'll probably just stop here because i probably alienated um half the people listening to this but definitely the mba and running um the third question is what are topics or ideas you would love to discuss with a guest but haven't had an opportunity to yet what are topics or ideas i would love to discuss with a guest i haven't had the chance to yet Honestly, I can't think of anything right now. If there's something that I want to ask the guest, I will do. I do a lot of meticulous pre-gaming or pre-planning for interviews with guests. Even though the end product sounds pretty conversational, we always have quite a lot of planning and research on guests that I go into. And I don't think I would interview someone if I didn't, if I wasn't clear about what questions I wanted to ask them. So I think that is... Um, Nothing really comes to mind. I guess if it's just general topics that I haven't discussed with anybody. I haven't done too much in terms of MTG finance. I know I did a 
an episode on uh tcg player buying channel fireball this is before the youtube stuff this is when i was doing just the audio podcast so i i like doing the the magic finance sorts of features and i think it would be interesting next year to talk to more retailers and just do like man on the street stuff with stores whether they're in um in the u.s or in china or different parts of the world i think the the business of magic is something that a lot of people are doing well. There's a lot of podcasts out there that do this kind of analysis commentary well, but I do think I can bring my own kind of angle to it. So that that could be something that uh, to think about, you know, just magic finance stuff. I'm not 100% sure. So let me know if you think that's uh, a terrible idea or um, bad idea uh, or a good idea. Um. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to go down the list of existing questions, and then I'll and then I'll get to the questions in the chat. So, so Facebook, I want to say Twitch chat, but this is not Twitch. Um, <laughs> Facebook live chat. Please be patient with me. I'll get to your questions. I'll try to get through them uh, as much as possible. I'm pretty sure I can. I mean, I don't have that many questions on the on the list, and there's a couple in the chat. I'm sure I can get to them. I'll just try to go through them pretty briskly. Um, the next question is from It's Julian. That's my good friend, Julian Knob, um, who is a well-known German legacy grinder uh, and the host or co-host of the Everyday Eternal podcast. Okay, I'm pretty sure I haven't messed it up. There's a couple of podcasts all on legacy. Julian is a good friend. He um, obviously is a big fan of the legacy format as well. His question to me is, who are the top three Chinese legacy players I've ever known? Who are the top three Chinese legacy players I've ever known? That is a very specific question. And it's hard to answer because like, even if I gave three names, who in this chat would actually know who they are? Like, I, I don't think these people are listening either. I mean, the, the actual players, uh, because this is in English and not in Mandarin. But um, I would say that in general, like for formats like Legacy, there's just good players in these formats that are not Legacy specialists. They're just people, just magic grinders who are signing up for Legacy tournaments because they're playing Modern, Pioneer, Standard. They're playing other competitive formats and they just decide like, okay, there's a Legacy event. Let me come and crush this. Let me borrow a deck. They're not into Legacy all the time. I guess you see this a lot with uh, American Magic as well, right? Like you have people that aren't specialists in the legacy format, but they can just come into the format and crush because they're just good at Magic. So I would say that similar to that, in China, there's a lot of legacy players like that. They're just people that are modern pioneer grinders. And you you always see them in the top eight or the top 16 of legacy tournaments because they know how to play Magic. And um, Magic is Magic. If you know how to play, you know how fire cards work. Um, they also work in legacy. So I would say that there's a lot, but if I'm can narrow the if I can narrow it down to three people that I actually know that are more like legacy aficionados or specialists, I would say number one is my friend um Reinhard Gal. He loves Teamer or Rug Delver. He always forces Rug Delver in every legacy tournament, even when it's bad. I think there were definitely periods in legacy when it was really bad. It was really bad. I'm not talking about Bowmasters now. I'm talking about like, there were some dark times for Rug. Um, he was always uh, doing well in these tournaments. 
Uh, he's a player that used to be based in Shanghai, is now in Xi'an, and um, he's a great guy. I think he's also on Twitter. I'll have to find his Twitter handle. He is pretty good with English, so um, definitely check him out if you haven't. His name is Reinhard Gao. And um, another person, another player is Yizhen, Shen Yizhen. A lot of Chinese players just have nicknames. Uh, we just call him... Uh, Xiaoji, little chicken or chicken master. Like he's just, he's just been in legacy for a while. I always make fun of him because always, he's always playing what I think are bad decks like Maverick, like um, fair decks with Knight of the Reliquary uh, and now Endurance. And um, I guess, no, it wasn't Mother of Runes. But anyways, yeah, there were, there were just, he, he, he just loves playing Maverick decks. I always joke with him, like how terrible the deck is, but he seems to always do well. So in the, eight or five years that I played magic with him. He's always done very well. Another player is uh, Tao Tao. I don't actually know Tao Tao's last name. So I guess it's just going to be like Madonna. It's just like Tao Tao, just his first name. Um, also a very good player. He plays more than just legacy, but he always seems to be playing different legacy decks, whether it's combo, mid-range, aggro, control. He always seems to do well with them, right? I've seen him like rock with ninjas, infect, uh, Sneak and show um, with Atraxa. He's done a lot. Like he, he's, he's again, he's always done well. He's, he's won big tournaments that I've participated in. Uh, I haven't won any big tournaments. I'm not that good of a player. I would say that these three players are, um, are, are pretty strong. But yeah, like there's just a general pool of great legacy players that don't specialize in legacy. They just come over and they just crush. So um, I guess like everywhere in the world, legacy is a kind of a niche format. So it's hard to um it's hard to uh find a lot of people who are like world-class and legacy all right the next question is from unicorn lord okay by the way this is super tiring this is way more tiring than interviewing people like just monologuing i don't now like i know streaming is hard but like i and i feel like i'm on easy mode already but this is this is really hard, man. This is really hard. Just monologuing. I've never talked this much in a recording. Like usually when I'm recording humans and magic, I'm just asking their questions and just try to vibe with the guests. This is, this is really hard. I, I think I need a co-host for this kind of thing, um, but I'm going to do my best here. Uh, next question is from Unicorn Lord, also known as Peter Plank. Peter has uh, um, a European legacy podcast called In Response. So definitely check that out if you have not. The question is, after interviewing all these amazing people, what are your biggest takeaways for importance of being a good magic player, good streamer, good podcaster, and a good commentator? Okay, so this is really like X could be streamer, X could be podcaster, X could be commentator. Um, all right, let me give a really general answer that I think still applies. All right. It doesn't matter like which of these are. It kind of it kind of it's kind of related to the question I had the answer I had about like who do I interview. It doesn't matter like whether you're trying to be the best magic player, trying to be the best streamer, podcaster, whatever. Number one is all the people I've interviewed who have managed to do it, they have very specific goals, right? They're not bullshitting themselves. It's like if they they are just trying to um they are just trying to be they're not lying to themselves, right? So it's like, if you are trying to be the best Magic player, and I've interviewed a lot of people who are Hall of Famers, you are just grinding. You are just learning constantly. 
you're not trying to be like five different things. You're trying to be the best magic player. Or if I'm trying to be the best podcaster or interviewer in the space, I'm just going to, um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to focus on that. So I think number one, I think, I think, I think a big, a big thing is focus, right? The best people doing whatever it is, they are honest with themselves of this is what I need to focus. And part of focus means they're willing to sacrifice other things in their lives to, to really focus on that thing. Another thing that I found when I talk to people who are world-class at what they do in magic and otherwise is that they're always asking for feedback. They're always trying to ask people, hey, what could I do better, right? So they're not wrapped up in their own ego about like, I'm already the best. I don't need to improve. They're always coming from a place of humility. Like, how do I improve at my craft, right? How do I be a better player? How can I be a better commentator, streamer, whatever? They're constantly looking at themselves in the mirror. Well, hopefully not literally, but, you know, figuratively looking at themselves in the mirror and just thinking, how do I, um, what can I do better, right? Like every piece of content you you make as a content creator is an opportunity to get better. Even doing this live stream, like I'm, I'm just experimenting, right? I'm just getting into something that I'm not comfortable with. You have to, the only way for you to grow doing whatever it is you want to be good at is to just do stuff that you're not comfortable with and ask for feedback. Like I'm probably going to ask people after the stream, like, how did I do? I'll probably look at this recording and just be terribly embarrassed at this first live stream I did, but that's okay because things will improve over time. Things will get better over time. Whatever you're doing, you're trying to get better at. You can't let yourself plateau. You can't let yourself just like get complacent and just tell yourself that you're already great and, and just be okay with that. Honestly, I think you have to be hard on yourselves. I feel like magic players, like all these people have to be hard on themselves, uh, myself included when I'm doing interviews or content. So I think that is really important. So again, I'll just try to summarize, like, you know exactly what you want. You take feedback. You're always looking to improve. And at least when it comes to like magic players, and I, <laughs> I would say probably um, other fields as well, like content creation, you're just really stubborn. Like you're just not going to give up. It doesn't matter like you're losing 60% of your matches it doesn't matter you haven't figured something out. It doesn't matter that I was struggling as a podcaster for years and years. You're just stubborn. You're just persistent. You're just, you, you have a strong reason for doing the thing, which means that once you start doing the thing, you're not going to give up easily, right? Like, I think there's a stat that says 99% of podcasters, they just stop after five episodes or three episodes. And that's just crazy to me. Like, once I commit to something, I'm just going to be in there. I'm going to try to figure out a way to make it work. I'm not saying that Humans Magic has done super well. It hasn't. Like, it's still a very niche podcast. But I motivate myself to, to pick myself up from the ground. Something didn't work. Okay, let's figure out how to improve it. So I would say that's the generalization. The biggest takeaway is all of these things. All right, next question. Matthias Vizos, MTG. I'm sorry if I'm mangling these uh, name pronunciations. It's it could be it's a little challenging for me. Um, do you think that interviewing top pros made you improve your game 
in any way. Do you think that interviewing the top pros made me improve my game in any way? Okay, I'm going to give you a kind of a, a cop-out answer. Yes and no, right? I can't say no because I have to say mostly yes because if it's not helping, then how is it helping people listening to it, right? Like there's definitely things that pros have told me about the mindset, about persistence, like taking feedback, um, how they approach deck building and looking at formats and working with teams. There's definitely a pattern of things that you should do to be a successful Magic player. I'm pretty sure that at this point, I could probably write an article. I don't want to say book, but I could definitely write an article on like, if you want to be a, a, a top pro, or if you want to just improve your Magic game, you, you should do like these three things or five things or 10 things. And I can actually give examples of like, okay, Sam Black did this and Kai Buda also did this. John Finko also did this. So at some point when everyone's doing that, it's a pattern. Like there, is, there are things that you could do to improve your game. But I think one the, the reason why I say yes and no, it's mostly yes. There's a little bit of no. The no actually comes from... Um, and this is something I strongly believe in, right? It, it applies to everything, not just playing Magic. What's the best way to say this? All right, I'll just go ahead and say it. There's no amount of theory that can make up for sufficient practice. You always need a, a baseline, a foundation of practice, smart practice, coupled with theory. So I, I guess the perfect Magic example is like, if you look at two extremes, right? You have someone that doesn't even play magic anymore and is basically just reading magic articles, thinking about magic, watching videos, listening to interviews on pros on how to be a better magic player, like pure theory, right? That's one end. Well, they're not going to be very good, right? They're not going to be very good if they just keep doing that. It doesn't matter how much magic you played in the past. If you're not practicing, it's tough. It's kind of like what I... You know, I said one of my favorite hobbies is running. Like, I can't get become a better runner if I just always just read about running. Like, it just doesn't work. Like, I could I could watch a hundred YouTube videos on how to run a marathon, but if I'm not training, it doesn't help. The other end of the spectrum is pure practice or just grind. Right? Like, these are players that don't consume any content. They're not consulting with anybody. They're just playing as much magic as possible. They're just playing magic online all the time, arena all the time, going to FNM, just immersing themselves in playing magic, shuffling magic, or like clicking keys if you're playing digital magic. Like that's the other extreme. So you always have to find the right mix of theory and practice. And I know it sounds like common sense, but I feel like Again, it depends on what your goals are, right? But if you want to improve your game, you really need to find the right balance of both. And I have found people putting, I, I found a lot of people put themselves in traps when they focus on one extreme over the other. You always have to pull it back. You always have to think about like, how am I finding the right mix, right? Because I, I was there. Like I used to play a ton of Magic Online. I, I, I played so many Magic Online leagues, um, especially during the pandemic. I played so much. And I wasn't even thinking about like, okay, what could I have done better in terms of making my plays? Or can I, um, you know, get coaching? Can I, can I get feedback on it? And then it, it sucked, right? And then once I started thinking more about magic, which is this end of the spectrum, it actually helped. Like sometimes if you do less of the thing, 
and think about it more, you can get better, but you still have to do enough of the thing. So it's, it sounds like kind of a contradiction, but it's, it's just about finding the balance. So that's definitely um, my super long-winded answer to that. All right. Um, there's another question here on the list before I get to the chat. Uh, like I said, there's not a ton of questions, but I, I'm having fun so far. So hopefully stay with me and I'll just start answering questions in the chat after this question. Um, the last question on my on my list here is, um, was it harder to interview a magic artist than a player? Are you planning to interview more artists? This is from uh, Drunks or Dr. Unks. I'm, I'm not sure which one, but um, I know that Drunks has been uh, following Humans Magic for a while, so I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the question. Um, <laughs> this is an interesting question because I think I've literally interviewed one magic artist. Maybe maybe I could count on one one hand, like the number of magic artists I've interviewed. Like in the past, I interviewed maybe like Kai Sawatari, who's also a, a legacy player, right? A content creator. Um, he's uh he he's he's great. Um and and Justine, like yeah, I, I think someone in the chat just said Justine. Like Justine is really like the first, like. I don't want I don't want to put anyone else down, right? But Justine is amazing. Like Justine is like the first um Wizards Magic the Gathering artist I've interviewed for Humans of Magic, right? Um she's the first one that I've interviewed that's actually that's actually done art for magic cards. And so I I really just have that sample size of one. Um yeah, shout out to Justine Jones. She's great. I, and actually, I, I found out to the interview, like she loves running as well. So we actually, even now, we're still like constantly messaging each other about messaging each other about like running and like stuff not magic related, right? Um, which is which is fun. Um, so if I use that sample size of one, um, yes, it was harder to interview a magic player, uh, magic artist than a player. It was harder to interview Justine, but Justine was so easy to talk to that it wasn't that that hard because i i think i think the central motivation of humans and magic is to get behind the person's why right why do they do the thing that they do and how do they become world-class at it so if you approach the interview like i try to do with curiosity and just trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes and really try to get them to talk about themselves which honestly is not that hard because um because, you know, she's got a great story. And, um, you know, if you're just curious about what, if you're genuinely curious about what they're doing, it doesn't matter that you're not, you're not in their shoes, right? Like, I'm not a magic artist. Um, I, I was formerly an artist, like when I was in elementary school, I used to paint and draw, but that's, that's like decades ago. So I don't do it anymore. Now I do things like this podcast and, and writing and stupid tweets, right? Um, I'm not a Hall of Fame magic player, but I can talk to a Hall of Fame magic player because you just try to put yourself in their shoes. You just try to put yourself in their position, right? Like you have to actually give a crap about the guest. I think that's the secret. You're not just asking them questions because you feel like you have to. Like, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to interview anybody. I don't have to do this podcast, right? Like my my why is I'm trying to understand how other people approach magic in their way, whether it's the mindset or whatever it is, right? And how they do it. So 
it's not that hard. And uh, if you think about it that way, um, it is hard from the sense of like, I can't have real conversations with Justine about, you know, hey, what brushes do you use? And, um, you know, but I can have like higher level questions or discussions about, you know, how do you come up with your ideas, right? Like ideas and creativity. I feel like for artists, artists are a, a form of creative. So that's always possible. I, I can't really do technical things. Like it'll be like if I interviewed um, a, a car mechanic tomorrow, right? I wouldn't be able to like get super deep into that stuff, but I could ask them like, hey, um, why'd you become a car mechanic? Or why'd you become an artist? Um, you know, what makes this fun for you, right? Or if you're an artist or a creative, like how do you come up with ideas, right? What's the hardest part about working with wizards? Because that's something, honestly, I find really interesting. And I and I, I remember on the episode, we, we talked a, a little bit about like magic celebrity. What does it mean to like be a magic artist and get mobbed by people and like have to do like these tiny artist proofs, right? <laughs> she gave me a really fun answer. It's like, she hates doing artist proofs. Like they're so, they're so small and she's used to like, drawing or or painting on like these huge canvases right um so yeah just ask questions that you're curious about and just just be curious i think that's my that's my super long-winded answer um am i planning to interview more artists yes i would definitely love to interview more artists next year i think it's definitely on my list of people like i have a few artists that i want to reach out to um i i think it's fun i think it's fun like i i feel like humans imagine like the humans of magic should not just be magic players. They should not just be um, people like this, like live streamers or YouTubers, right? Um, I want to represent more people. Like I already mentioned, like I want to, I want to talk to more store owners. I want to talk to retailers. I want to talk to artists as well. So um, because I think, I think artists is also interesting because if you interview artists that are coming, that have been with the game for a while, they can also give you interesting insights on magic history. Right. They can also because I'm really interested in magic history. Um, you know, I like going down memory lane. Like I always joke, I live in the 90s and 2000s or mostly 90s. So if you talk to like some OG artists, you can also get interesting stories and people love stories. I love stories. So. So, yeah, the answer is yes. Um, OK, and I see that you're drunks. OK, Kaz, thank you so much for asking the question. You give me a good opportunity to just talk about all that stuff. Um, yeah, uh, I would love to. Uh, uh to talk to victor uh yeah i mean just yeah hit me up and uh we'll, we'll we'll try to get something going here all right um all right let me just go through an order there is there was a question in the chat from rogue 001 do you have a moment you can recall on your magic journey where you clearly leveled up and realized it huh I guess that would have to refer to my magic playing abilities, magic playing, like as a magic player. Do I have a moment where I can recall on my magic playing journey where I clearly leveled up and realized it? Um, it's hard to say there's like one particular moment in time. Because I, I find when I ask other people about this, they also can struggle sometimes to come up with like one moment, right? I know, I know, I know we all want to soundbite it, but um, for me, I started playing competitive magic in 2008 or 2009. That was around time spiral blocks. So that's when I, I mean, I play magic in the nineties, like casually with my brother and I stopped for a really long time. I went to college and I thought, 
magic wasn't cool. I didn't want to do it anymore. But then I, I came back into the workforce, had some disposable income, and I thought it'd be cool to play magic again. So I started playing in 2008. I played mostly limited and legacy. And honestly, I was really bad for a long time. I'm, I'm not saying now I'm, I'm, I'm good or anything like where I'm not a great player, but I've definitely gotten better. Um, I would say that it's just experience, man. Just like, like just going to, to larger tournaments and uh, watching better players, like practicing with the team. Um, I think, okay. I think there's two milestones, right? I started playing competitively in 2008. And I think 2000 and around 2011, 2012 was my first level up because that was the first time I played a GP, a Grand Prix. For those who may not know what GPs are anymore, we used to have these things. Um, and it was it was a legacy GP. And I did okay relative to my own expectations. And I had I had practice with a team and we went together as a team and we were doing a lot of grinding before. So that was the first kind of, formal big tournament experience that i had where i was overall satisfied with how i did not not great um but i was still happy right that's the first level up the second level up is okay this one is actually a lot more definitive during covid i finally decided i'm gonna learn magic online i'm gonna learn mtgo aka moto um there's a long story behind why I won't fully get into it, but basically somebody lit a fire and in, implied that I was a bad magic player. And I, I took that personally. And I said, I'm going to learn how to play magic for real. And I think over like one or two years, I played probably two to 3000 matches on magic online. And that that's not one moment, right? But that was a huge level up event. I think just playing Magic Online just made me realize how bad I was as a Magic player for the past decade. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. There's just, I just felt like I learned more from playing the first six months of Magic Online than I had in playing like 10 years of Paper Magic because you're just putting in the reps, you're playing with generally good competition, and you actually learn how the stack works. You actually learn real. Magic, and I know there's a lot of people out there that love Magic Arena, but to this day, I will die on this. I will die on this position of Magic Online is just superior to any other form of digital Magic. Um, if you want to really get better as a competitive player, that's the way to go. Hashtag not sponsored. I just that's <laughs> that's my uh, yeah, that's my view, and I'm sticking to it. So I would say those are the two uh, two milestones here. Um, yes, MTGO is the trenches. Um, but you know what? Going back to what I said, life or getting better at something, it's about discomfort. <laughs> Sometimes the discomfort is learning something that initially is terrible from a, from a user interface perspective. And that definitely applies to magic online. Like, how do I even get cards to build a deck how do i even like what are these tickets like like i pressed the button by accident how am i in the next phase or next turn like that's okay if you want to get better at something you have to deal with the challenges and for me i think getting over that learning curve for 
Magic Online paid a ton of dividends later on. Um, I love Magic Online now. Um, I don't play as much as I should. Um, I'm probably probably podcasting too much, but uh, yeah, Magic Online is awesome. So um, and and now playing Magic Arena just feels like I'm not even playing Magic. It feels like I'm um, I'm playing some sort of like arcade shooter. Like there's some sort of like guided rails to what I'm doing. Like it's Trust me, if you play too much Magic Online, try playing a lot of Magic Online, uh, Magic Arena, and then go go to an LGS and play a paper tournament. Like you'll just be completely lost. Um, so I highly recommend Magic Online. Okay, that's that's all I'll say about that for now. I probably alienated a lot of people by that uh, hot take. Um, okay, next question from Sleeveless MTG. Um, as someone who hit over 1,000 subscribers, interviewed many people who also hit that milestone, what advice do you have for aspiring MTG content creators? Hmm. What advice do I have for aspiring MTG content creators? It's funny because someone just asked me this yesterday, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make this useful and generalizable. Um, first of all, <laughs> I like to say this, um, even though I'm not a lawyer and there's no there's no chance of someone suing me. I think um, it's not because of legal reasons. This is this is honestly how I feel. Honestly, I think that I'm not very well equipped to give advice. I can tell you my perspective. I can tell you this is how I think about it. But it's very difficult for me to say to somebody like, you should do this, right? To, to, to have that confidence to say like, you should just do X, Y, and Z and you will be successful. Or you just need to do it like this. No questions. Um, that's never worked. Like, it doesn't matter. Like outside of magic, when I have mentor people or like try to coach people or people have asked me for advice. I think it's really difficult because everybody is in a different situation. So I can just tell you my perspective on what it takes. Right. So with that caveat out of the way, um, number one, what's worked for me is be really honest with yourself. This goes back to the question, another question, the other question, um, uh, be really honest with yourself of what your goals are. I think a lot of people fall into this trap where, they tell themselves one thing, but they actually believe another. So for example, um, for a very long time, I told myself that Humans and Magic was just something I did for fun. It was just a bucket list project. Hey, this is a great way for me to interview people that I've always wanted to talk to. It'd be fun to do. You know, this will give me an excuse to reach out to John Finkel, uh, to LSV, uh, people that I have interviewed, right? Um, and, and, and that's, that's all there is to it. Like, I'm just having fun. But what happens is that when you believe something, but then you actually feel something else, then there's a problem. For example, I told myself that for the first couple of years that this is just going to be something for fun, not trying to make a career out of it, etc. But then I would get disappointed. In, like if I felt like the podcast wasn't growing, if I felt like, um, Okay, well, the John Finkel episode did really well, but then the next episode with somebody else didn't do well. And I'd be like down on myself. I'd be like, um, this sucks, right? But that's why you have to be really honest with yourself, first and foremost. Like, what are your goals, right? Is your goal purely to have fun? Like, to just 
practice podcasting because that's what it, that's that was my goal when I started was to just practice public speaking and doing it. Um, or is the goal to grow in a certain way? Like, it, do you want to make this like uh, a full time thing at some point? Do you want to like monetize it? Like, you have to be really fucking honest with yourself um, as to why, right? And you have to stick to that goal and you have to revisit the goal. Like, check in with yourself. Like, maybe after six months, after 12 months, do I still feel the same way? Do I still have the same, um, or, or have I changed, right? Like I, like I just said, like I started off wanting to do something and I, it became something else. So goals are super important. Um, the second thing I would say is that this is often overrated. This is often overrated, but I think there's still some truth to it, which is you should be consistent, but don't be consistent for the sake of being consistent. Like, okay, I'll give you an example, right? There's a common like thing that YouTubers or content creators say like, be consistent, release every week. Like if you do, if you have a Monday release, always do it on Monday. Don't miss an episode, be consistent, keep firing shots and just always show up, right? I think it's true, but if you show up consistently, but the content sucks, then it doesn't matter. Like I've seen, and, and I'm sorry to say this, I've seen creators with a YouTube channel, they've been doing it for two years, right? Every video has 20 views. And after two years, they have, they're not at a thousand subs. They have like, I don't know, a hundred subscribers. So they're just like talking into the void. That's because they're consistent, but they've never actually thought about like, how do I grow the audience? Like, how do I make my content more interesting? What, how can I experiment? Because when you're, when you're small and I would say I'm a small level too, like I, I am like, nowhere near like some of the top magic YouTubers or YouTubers at all. Like we should all be experimenting. Like there are no sacred cows when you like the worst thing to do is to be consistent, but you're not thinking about like, how can I try new things? Like you're just locked into like this tunnel vision of like, I'm going to play this way. I'm going to play magic this way. I'm going to podcast this way. I'm going to, um, do my content a certain way. This is the only way it's going to be. That's a trap, man. Like you have to mix it up. Like, honestly, I'm guilty of this. Like, I feel like I'm not even experiment experimenting enough with humans of magic. This is why I'm doing this live stream. This is why I'm like, I have some new ideas that I'm going to hopefully put out soon in terms of clips and how I do interviews. Like there are no sacred cows. Like, like results do matter. Like, if you're not, if your goal is to not just do it for fun and you're actually looking at numbers and you care, and I think anyone that's even watching this right now is probably in that category if you want to be a creator. Like you have to, you have to experiment, you have to try, right? And I think the third thing I'll say is um similar to an answer I gave before, is you have to always seek feedback. You have to always figure out like what could you do differently. Ask people that you trust for feedback. I was talking um, just yesterday to a podcaster. Um, they were struggling a little bit about like their podcast and like, oh, why isn't it growing, James? Like, and I think there's always things you can do to improve as a content creator. There's always something you can do. Like, if you just make your next week's content one percent better, two percent better, it's just going to compound 
with time, right? You're not going to feel anything right away, but it's going to get better. And you'll feel better about it. Like, don't stagnate. Don't do the same thing over and over and over again. Expect a different result. Um, I would say one of the biggest level-ups I had this year as a creator was just I stopped bullshitting myself of what I wanted as a creator. And I actually asked people for help. I actually went out and I asked some YouTubers, like, can you look at my channel? Like, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? How can I improve doing this? And you know what? And I and I said, just give me the straight shot. Just tell me, like, like don't sugarcoat it. Just tell me what you think, right? And it's usually good when you do it in private because, like, there's no there's no fear of like you know someone else is watching this exchange on Twitter or um, you know someone's gonna jump in and said, yeah, James, you're terrible, or James, you're already good, right? Like, you don't you also don't want a ton of like too much validation. So I think that has been huge for what I'm trying to do, right? Like they just told me like, like this, this interview is good, but this thumbnail is trash, right? And you have to be, you have to have enough humility and be open to like, just whether you're playing magic or doing content, you have to be open to just taking that feedback and really trying to think about it and really trying to internalize it. I think that's, that's the key. Like just always be improving, always be trying to get better. Um, don't fall into the trap of trying to do the same thing over and over and over again. Be willing to experiment. I mean, I mean, damn, I mean, I'm sure even Mr. Beast's experiment, I don't watch a ton of his videos. I'm sure he's always trying to do new things. So even if you're one of the biggest YouTubers out there, like there's no excuse, right? And and going back to the first point, like just be really honest with what you want, right? Be really honest with what your goals are. Okay, I am becoming really long-winded here um sorry but i'm gonna i i think that's how i think that's the answer that i wanted to give yeah um all right yes marshall sutcliffe um i'll be honest i don't often listen back to a lot of my interviews but that interview i did with marshall sutcliffe he had so much wisdom about how to do it right um i actually went back and <laughs> i went back and listened to the advice that he had for me because i asked him in the in the recording like i think i must have listened to that part like two or three times maybe maybe more right um because he's just so wise about it and i'll just give you the summary for those who have not had a chance to listen to that episode or or watched it like i think there's a danger in doing something it's it, it's like what i said about magic players like uh like pure theory versus like pure grind like as a creator there is a spectrum as well where you can get too deep into like being results oriented and being super metrics focused like you know there's a ton of stuff out there that will honestly just rot your brain like how do youtube the, the how do youtube on youtube cottage industry like you have to do these three things to get you know, crazy retention. Here's how you like, here's how you create the perfect thumbnail. Um, yeah, they're important, but then some people get so caught up in the theory that they never actually like make the actual content better. So the, the trap that I still fall into that I'm always trying to overcome is like, how do I make the best interview possible? And how do I reflect the curiosity that I have on my guests 
And how do I have that shine through in the video? So yes, I could spend hundreds of hours on like, how do I make like the first 30 seconds of the video awesome because it's gonna help engagement and the algorithm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, how do I create the perfect thumbnail and title? There's nothing wrong with that, but everything has an opportunity cost. Or even like, um, I talked about this with um, some YouTubers, like, should I create like all these YouTube shorts, right? But when you're operating on your own, there's only so much time you have, man. There's only so much time you have. So it's like every second that I'm like doing all these techniques and like creating shorts, I'm not focused on trying to get the next guest or trying to do the best interview. And I wish I had a team around me that could just like edit all the interviews for me and do these amazing like 30 second intros and like, you know, amazing editing and music, but I don't, right? It's just me. So um, everything has an opportunity cost, right? If you want something, you have to figure out what is the 80-20 rule? Like what's the 20% of the effort that's going to give you 80% of the results because it's not balanced, right? It's not like you spend a hundred hours on your thumbnail. Let's say I spend an hour on my thumbnail. It's not like I spent a hundred hours on my thumbnail. I'm going to have like a hundred times more viewers, right? There's diminishing returns. And as long as I'm like getting 1% better at my thumbnail, every time I do it, that's enough. It's not like I, I, I don't, I can't reinvent everything. So in a kind of indirect way, Marshall really um, drove that point home because he was talking about wristwatch revival in his YouTube channel. Uh, I guess he does limited resources and wristwatch revival. And he's just like, he's like, James, I'm just focused on making the best possible video. Yeah, I do my thumbnails. I do my thing, but I don't, I don't do a ton of, I don't spend a ton of time on it. Like I still do it, but I'm focusing all my effort, all my energy on what's the best possible video. And obviously I know interviews are a little bit different. I could probably still do better in terms of this video or these interviews, but um, that is a key message. Like what is really important to you and focus on it. Like the, the thing about Marshall too, is that this is a great reminder for all the creators. This adds to my answer about creators. It's like, do something that you would want to watch, right? I think that's really the test. If you make a piece of content and you're not even excited to watch it, right? Or if you send it to like three of your closest friends and they're just like, this is not interesting, then you really have to look at yourself in the mirror. Like, why are you doing it, right? Can you make this sustainable? Can you make this better? If it's If you're not there yet in terms of making it fun to watch or interesting, then figure it out like that that's well you have to figure out a way like you can't just get stuck like doing something that nobody wants to see or nobody wants to watch like content has to be consumed um yeah i mean that's i, I guess it's getting a little philosophical here but that's that's how i think about it yeah oh yeah yeah um power dragon so daquan watson I did have an episode with him for Humans of Magic, and we went really deep into um, YouTube strategies. Uh, I, I think one one key, I definitely go check out the episode if you haven't. It's on Humans of Magic as well. Um, but one thing that he said that I still remember super well to this day is he says, Power Dragon says, 
everything I do is intentional, right? Everything. There's not a frame or a second. There's not like an intro, the way he like stands up or like presents the video or talks that isn't um, planned. I'm not saying planned in like some sort of negative way. Like it's, it's like he knows what his audience wants. Like he also goes deep into the analytics and he knows what kinds of things are going to land with people. And that's super important. Um, but I think he's already found the the base or the foundation, right? I'm doing really interesting magic gameplay and it's really chill. And people, he's already found an audience for that. So now he's kind of optimizing. So I would also say that there's no accident to his success. Like he really studied it, right? He also studied um, how non-magic YouTubers do it. I think there's also another thing too, is like not enough um, magic content creators take inspiration from what's happening outside of magic content, right? Because I think if you're too narrow in your like magic content echo chamber, it it, it also becomes challenging, also becomes challenging. So, um, okay, I think that's all of the questions. Hopefully I haven't missed anything. If you guys have more questions, I could definitely have happy to um, try and answer. Um, I just want to say um, I haven't responded to all of the comments here, but I'm I'm super grateful to you guys for like jumping onto the stream. I just decided like to just do this on a on a whim, and I'm I'm coming across like probably not as the best communicator, but um, it's really cool. It's really cool to do these live things, and I would love to do more um, live shows. So definitely let me know. Like just tweet at me or uh, email me or comment somewhere like if you want to see more of these things like I'll, I'll post this video as a as a regular video as well um but thank you so much for um for attending this uh live stream i i'm so i just want to say like i'm so excited about next year i'm not just saying this like i really believe it i felt like i have felt like the last few months for humans of magic has been tremendous like i've interviewed a lot of people that i have that i really wanted to um I have really felt like the interviews have gotten a little better. So there's a little bit of a level up. And I think there's more that can be done. So I really appreciate everyone's support. Um, and gosh, it's only been an hour of live streaming and I'm extremely tired. Like I like even now when I do three hour interviews, I, I don't feel anywhere as tired as this. This is like really, this is really hard to monologue. I'm just not used to not having a guest or a co-host. Um, but thank you so much for tuning in. I will try to do more live streams uh, in the future, maybe expanding on some of these topics. And if you want to see me live stream on other things as well, like if you just want to watch me play magic or um, talk about magic or like other topics or like running or random topics, maybe we could also do that because it's kind of... Um, um, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, it, it is just hanging out. Like it feels cool to have chat and uh yeah it's cool so um on behalf of uh my cat burger in the background who's been chilling the whole time um i'm glad that he didn't jump onto the desk here and disrupt anything but uh um yeah thank you guys so much and uh we'll see you in the next stream take care and uh, have a good have a good evening